Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. Well, we now have only two weeks left in Alabama's hunting season, and things have slowed down for me a little bit. I have not killed a turkey or watched a turkey die in almost 10 days. So I'm hoping to break that streak here sometime soon. It's been raining almost six days straight now, and the weather has been pretty crappy, and that's kind of slowed things down a good bit. But I think it's going to open back up here real soon, and I'm looking forward to closing out the season the last couple of weeks on a good note. Well, I have a ton of great information for you today. The episode's a little bit long, but you're going to get a lot of good info out of it. And so I'm going to touch on just a couple of things real quick, and then we're going to get right into the episode. First thing, I'm getting a lot of pictures in on Facebook, and I appreciate you guys uploading your pictures to Facebook. It would be a little bit easier on me if you would actually email those to me, believe it or not. P-I-X at IamTurkeyHunting.com. Picks at IamTurkeyHunting.com. And I'm glad to see you guys are having a great deal of success out there so far this season. I've had a few of you message me on Facebook and say that you used a tip or trick or tactic that you learned on the Turkey Hunter podcast to take a particular bird and you sent pictures of that bird. And I've got to tell you, I'm just stoked about that. I am very happy to be able to help you guys have more success in the turkey woods, whether that's through tips you get from me or tips you get from some of the great experts that I have on the show. I am just really, really stoked that you guys are putting some of this information to good use and able to have some success with it. The second thing is, don't forget that you can catch the Turkey Hunter podcast along with seven other great shows on the Outdoor Podcast channel. So we are now a part of the Outdoor Podcast channel, and I encourage you to go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio and subscribe to the Outdoor Podcast channel, and you can get not only the Turkey Hunter Podcast, but seven other great shows. So the other thing that I want to tell you is that I have started a new segment of the show that we're now going into week three of this segment, and it's called Ask the Turkey Hunter. In this week's segment, I did something a little bit different. I got a question from Chris Morris emailed to me, and Chris had a great question. He says, I'm from South Alabama. I've been turkey hunting since the 1990s. I usually kill two to three birds a year, with the exception of the last two to three seasons. 
the land that I used to hunt didn't have many goblin turkeys, so I got a new piece of property, and they're acting the same way. My question, what are some good tactics on hunting silent birds? I have not heard a bird gobble all season on my new piece of property. I've seen tracks and roads, so I know they're there. I like to move from place to place in the morning to try to find a goblin turkey. I don't like to deer hunt turkey, as I call it. In other words, he doesn't like to set up on a field with decoys and wait for turkeys to show up. He's gotten in some roosting areas a few times and did some blind calling for a couple of hours with no success. And he says, I'm assuming coyotes or other predators have got the turkey silent. He lives too far from the properties to do any really effective trapping for coyotes. And he's seen a lot of coyote tracks and domestic dog tracks this year on the land. He says that he hasn't seen any wingtip drag marks, so he doesn't really know where their strut zones are. Well, when I got Chris's question, it made me have a few questions of my own. So, in order to give Chris a good answer to his question, I emailed him back and I said, Hey, how would you like to be on the show? And I asked him, Would you mind being on the show to let me ask you a few follow-up questions to your question just so I can get some more information and let me answer it that way? And he said that he did not mind at all. So, I scheduled a time to get with Chris to record the call. And then I went a little bit above and beyond. I actually called Chris Parrish, who is a seven-time Grand National Wild Turkey Calling Contest champion. Seven-time Grand National champion. And I called Chris Parrish and I asked him to come on the call with me and Chris Morris and help Chris out with his non-gobbling turkey problem that he has. And Chris Parrish readily agreed. So at the end of this week's show... I've got Chris Parrish, who is the assistant brand manager for Night and Hell Game Calls, and Chris Morris, who is a listener to the Turkey Hunter podcast, on a call, and we're going to answer Chris's question about non-gobbling turkeys. All right, so the audio of the call with Chris and Chris is not real great. However, the content and the information on the call is outstanding, and... I want you guys to be sure to tune in at the end of the episode and listen to the call with Chris and Chris, Chris Morris and Chris Parrish. So what do I have for you this week? Well, I have a turkey hunting legend on the show this week, and that legend is Cuz Strickland with Mossy Oak. And Cuz has been with Mossy Oak for a long time. A lot of you guys have seen him on the Mossy Oak TV show. You've seen him in the Mossy Oak hunting videos, and... He is a turkey killing machine. He is a fantastic turkey hunter. So I'm really, really excited about having Cuz on the show tonight. And I want to jump right into that because this episode is running a little bit long. I want to get you in, let you listen to Cuz. Hopefully you pick up some great tips from him because there are a lot of them shared on this show. We're going to jump right into the interview with Cuz and I will see you guys on the other side. Hello and welcome back to the Turkey Hunter Podcast. I have on the line with me someone who has been in the hunting industry for a long while and I think he's one of the better turkey hunters in the country and there's several people in the hunting industry that think the same thing and I actually bumped into him in Nashville at the National Wild Turkey Federation convention there and 
twisted his arm a little bit about coming on the show. It wasn't real hard to do. He's such a nice guy. He readily agreed. But I have on the line with me today, Cuz Strickland, who is a senior VP of media services for Mossy Oak. Cuz, how are you today and where are you? I'm fine. I'm sitting in my office watching it rain, probably doing the same thing you're doing. And, you know, I feel like going outside and kicking rocks, but there's nothing nothing we can do about it. And I appreciate you asking me. I, you know, I love talking about turkeys and, you know, I'm, I don't qualify myself as an expert, but I've been with a lot of experts and been doing it for many, many years and love talking about it. Well, you may not classify yourself as an expert, but I know an expert who does, and that is Colonel Tom Kelly. He seems to think you're a pretty dang good turkey hunter. Well, you know, he's probably my turkey hunting hero. You know, when, when back when I was learning how to turkey hunt, there weren't podcasts or internet or anything, and, and I understand you went through some of the same things, but I did get a hold somehow of his his first book, The Tenth Legion, after I read that, it was so clear to me why I loved it so much, so he was kind of Mickey Mantle to me, you know, it was, if you're into oh, yeah. baseball, and I, I was actually blessed enough to meet him and then hunt with him some, and, you know, my thoughts have not changed. He's just a legend and such a wonderful writer, and grew up hunting when there was hardly any turkeys and that's the kind of people you talk to to learn some skills you know some real low impact skills and stuff like that and and you know I've, I've written some books on turkey hunting and my overall theme is always there are no absolutes because there are no absolutes they can act you know so harsh and evil sometimes and sometimes <laughs> they can run you over and that's usually when you got somebody that you're taking for the first time that you spend a week explaining that, that you got to breathe through your eyes and you can't but you know and that's when that two-year-old runs you over but yeah Colonel, uh, Colonel Kelly's just uh he, he's quite a legend to me he is that, and you really hit the nail on the head. He is such a great writer, and I can't think of a better way to describe what turkey hunting is all about than he did in the 10th Legion. I mean, it really just seems to sum up the sport for me from top to bottom, and he's got a way with words. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it's the greatest hunt on the planet. It just depends on how you look at things. I've said it before. I was doing some VO not long ago for the television shows, and I made the statement that it's almost impossible to explain turkey hunting to a non-turkey hunter without it sounding silly but if you if you get into it and it and you really do it fair and square on their terms i'm telling you it's the best time on the planet and i hadn't been charged by cape buffalo or you know hadn't shot a line at 10 yards and, and really don't care to that's just not my thing but right. to me it's the it's the everything that goes with turkey hunting that makes it so special and certainly isn't just pulling the trigger that's very true. Yeah, I, I tried to tell people from time to time, it's not only getting to watch the world wake up from winter, but you're getting to watch it wake up every single day yeah. in addition to that. Yeah. And it does. It sounds silly when you tell people that. They look at you like, you know, are you for real? Do you have your fairy wings on? Or, yeah. you know, they kind of look at you strange when you tell them that. But you have to experience it to know what it's all about, for sure. Yeah, that's one of the things I always admired about Will Primos. You know, I was working in a sporting goods store way back in the day. And uh, he, uh, when he first came out with his first cassette, I mean, there wasn't any such thing as a video back then. But he had a cassette where he took a, a pretty good production guy out in the woods and recorded just the sound of a turkey hunt. 
and it's mm-hmm. like 20 or 30 minutes long, and I listened to that thing over and over, and I was like, yeah, I know what that is, a redbird. And, you know, from the time the gun went off and the leaves, you know, the turkeys wings flopping in the leaves, it was just impactful that somebody would take that gear out there and do it. So it was it was quite a inspiration for me to shoot those early videos, the truth videos, because it, it certainly wasn't a career money-making effort. It's easy, sure. There's easier things to do to go home and tell your bride that, hey, I'm fixing to load this camera around and make turkey videos for a living and it doesn't pay much but i mean if you're bitten hard enough by the bug i guess it makes sense it makes sense now it didn't really make too much sense back then but people who are really passionate about it there's so much fun to talk to and, and later in life they all turn into great teachers true you know season has started in south florida we're getting ready for season to start saturday here in alabama i know you are in mississippi as well and the youth seasons have already started in mississippi and alabama have you been in the turkey woods this year yet no well i've been in the woods a little bit i did a little scouting early on and i had a, a day plan to take one of my grandsons tuesday or wednesday this week but it's just rained it's rained every day and you know there was probably intermittent times we could have got in the woods but you know he's six or he's six years old he's already kill one turkey but what you don't want to do with kids or or new hunters for that fact is make them miserable and get out into that that wet dripping timber knowing that the turkeys are probably not in a good mood that's just that's just not a hunt i wanted to take him on so i have not been hunting yet but i'm watching the forecast very closely i have three crews that are in florida right now a couple of them with wounded veterans and i'm getting texts from them they killed a couple of turkeys so i'm telling you if it doesn't hurry up and start i'm going to blow a gasket (laughs) I feel the same way. I've I've been doing a countdown for when season starts in Alabama since May 1st last year. Mm -hmm. That's how how ready I've been for it. So Uh, I feel your pain. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and how and when you first got into turkey hunting. Well, you know, I was a, uh, my dad was a lifelong military guy, and they finally settled in Natchez, Mississippi, which, thank God for me, was real close to the Homochitta National Forest, or what we call the Sandy Creek Wildlife Refuge. And my dad was a big, big, big time fisherman, best fisherman I've ever known, never owned a boat in his life. You know, he just, and there wasn't any such thing as catch and release. So, you know, we ate a lot of fish, stayed outside a lot, and he would take take us deer hunting from time to time or rabbit hunting and the the turkey hunting thing i read an article i was reading magazines i don't remember i was probably 16 or 17 mm-hmm. and it was an article about ben lee ben rogers lee from coffeeville alabama which he kind of fascinated me about the whole turkey thing and here. there's another legend yeah i was lucky enough to hunt with him one time but uh you know i read that and it, actually the article's about him going to texas for the first time which i'm pretty sure nobody had been out there turkey hunting like we do but he was talking about crossing a barbed wire fence and he pushed the, the barbed wire down and it squeaked in a staple and a turkey gobble and uh, <laughs> he sit there and called that turkey up by you know squ- just squeaking that barbed wire fence back and forth that kind of tweaked my interest and then you know the memories of me seeing turkeys in the home of national forest and it was just kind of well heck i can do that and i bought an old lynch one-sided box call and went out there and was very unsuccessful that first year i had no appreciation for how well they could see or how well they could hear uh, right. but for some reason the, the worse i did the more i was fascinated with it and like you I kind of self-taught yeah well like i said you know a lot of people in the industry in the hunting industry consider you to be one of the best turkey hunters who works in the industry itself and part of being a really good turkey hunter is knowing turkeys you've got to know the animal that you're hunting or you're not going to have much success with them just like you mentioned and that's 
one of the things that I ran up against as well when I started turkey hunting is not really knowing a lot about the animal, knowing their habits and their patterns. Yeah. And that's very key in being able to find turkeys to start with, but also key in being able to know what they're going to do within the course of a day and throughout the season. So that's why I wanted to get you on the show today to tell us a little bit about some of those habits and patterns that turkeys typically exhibit or seem to follow during the spring mating season. And we all know a wild animal, especially a wild turkey, and they got that name because they are wild. Mm -hmm. They're not going to do what we think they're going to do all the time. They're not going to follow these patterns all the time, but they do tend to do general things over and over throughout the course of a season. And so we can pattern them to a certain extent. And so that's a little bit about what I wanted to talk to you today. So do you think that turkeys' habits and patterns change throughout the season? And if so, why do you think that is? Well, yeah, they do. I, I learned a lot early on because I had to. If you grow up hunting them in a public setting, that's way, that's even... That's just a level higher than anybody can understand. If you, you know, if you hunt them wherever in the Talladega National Forest, or I grew up hunting them in the home of Chitta National Forest. I mean, they, their whole life revolves around surviving. Their habits do change. They are, I don't know if they're, they are patternable to a certain extent, but it's just like any other wild creature. It revolves around food and water and cover and protection and all that. But I personally, and mine are all opinions. I'm no biologist. I learned stuff about hunting because I was, making these videos back in the early 80s and my job was to film turkey hunts whether they were successful or not so I, I tried things out of the box because when I was listening to my barber and my football coach Ed Reed first guy I ever saw using a mouth call they were like you yelp twice you never call to them when they're in the tree and you know and the list went on and on and how still you had to sit and, I, and all that's pretty kind of true but when you start encountering a lot of different turkeys you see there are no absolutes First thing I learned, in my opinion, is I would try to get tips from deer hunters. I'd talk to the guys who hunted in the home Chill National Forest. Where'd you see them? Well, they were down by the Low Water Bridge, or they were up on Sandy Creek Ridge, or wherever. Well, I think they move. I think the hens dictate everything. That's not rocket mm -hmm. science. A lot of times they move, start moving in the late fall to get closer to where they're going to nest, I think. I think it's all about the hens getting closer to their nesting habitat where the where the gobblers end up. So they move. Now, I'm yeah. sure there's pristine forests in the world that hadn't been tampered with where turkeys stay in certain areas all the time. But again, I'm relating mine back to hunting on public ground and other ground. But I think, they, I think there's a bit of a migration usually between fall and early spring. And I think it relates to where the hens feel comfortable building their nest. So, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the best way to find them is just to stay on your feet a little bit. Now, you can, you can you know, do the normal things and ask the mailman or the UPS guy where they're seeing them and stuff like that, but I think there's always a pretty good migration between late deer season and early spring where they go to. So as far as their habits, they do so many different things, and you have to listen to old-timers or just kind of listen to your brain sometimes about I think they're they're smarter than people give them credit for. About I think they have different areas they like to roost. You know, I mean, again, this isn't rocket science, but it's things sure. that'll help you. You know, down the road they roost lower in windy conditions, and they on those bluebird mornings they may they may be sitting on the highest pine tree on a, a ridge somewhere. But they they certainly and and in this part of the world will move their roosting area fairly 
long distances, and that's not the same in Texas or out west. But when I start thinking about turkeys, I'm always thinking about easterns, and right. mostly easterns in the southeast, which I, I, I almost think they should be called, I think it, it would be another species. I call them ghouls, like a ghost. You know, they're they're just yeah. so evil sometimes, and I, I think they, they, they're they really hard to pattern, especially about areas when they roost. But I think the biggest thing people do is they depend on what they saw where they were deer hunting and just go back there the day before open season. And I think turkeys move a really long ways, usually between deer season and early spring. Yeah, my experience is pretty much the same thing in that where I have seen turkeys over the years during deer season, that's a place to start out maybe on opening day, but not too much longer into the season. And they've generally have moved to different areas. And I think that they're probably not much different than than we are in the respect of what you just said. The hens dictate what the gobblers do. Correct. Yeah, and the, I know <clears> the <throat> hen at my house dictates everything that I do. Sure, almost. that's right. <laughs> you've probably been if you've been married long as I have, it'll be 41 years. March of what's today? Uh, today is well, three, well, three days. I'll be married 41 years. But and I tell everybody, they ask me, "What's the key to that?" And I said, "Well, I, we had a, a deal going in. She make we make I make all the big decisions, and she makes all the small decisions. We just hadn't run into a big decision yet." In 41 <laughs> years. But another thing that happens during that early spring is the, the food sources they start changing. You know, there may be some right. big, there may be some mass that's still falling, but it's usually grubs and buds, trees budding out, things bud out earlier you know on the south facing side of hills and stuff like that so they're moving finding that that fresh food just like the deer are so they're constantly i think that late february early spring sometime is the hardest time to find where they are because they're moving so much yeah so what do you think are some of the typical early season patterns that turkeys follow and how can we use knowledge of those patterns to our benefit well you know i got a we never got it on a video, but I, I, I witnessed one of the most amazing things I ever saw, and it was in the Natchez State Park, which was not part of the Home Shield National Forest. It's still there. It's got a great fishing lake on it. But before it was open to anybody, I got to go in there with just a camera. You know, I was just trying, actually, I was trying out a new microphone for a camera I was going to film with that thing. And this was, if I remember right, it was February the 20th, I think it was the 22nd or the 28th of February. And I had two of my friends with me, and we were sitting down, and I had heard a turkey gobble there the day before, and I wanted to get in there and close and just see if I could film it and get this audio microphone tweaked a little bit. But anyway, over the course of three and a half hours, I think it was 11 or 12 longbeards that ended up being on that ridge. Now, well, they didn't start on that ridge. Four or five of them did. And I witnessed the what I say was the establishment of the pecking order for the whole spring in that one morning because there was fights. There was different fights. Turkeys came from, I don't know, three or four different directions, came from behind us going to that ridge. It was like the, it was like the fight at the OK Corral. But by the end of that thing, probably around 10.30 or 11 o'clock that morning, there was one turkey standing that was still strutting. Everybody else was feeding and scratching, but this one turkey had established that he was the man and the other turkeys kind of moved off. And I went back to that place five or six times and I'd hear one turkey gobbling and I was assuming it was that one. Now the others mm-hmm. may not have gone far. They may have moved way away, but it told me how powerful that pecking order can be in turkeys. And just like elk and everything else, I'm sure those, those turkeys either became subordinate or left and moved and went to another area that's why i think about those kind of things with my hunting style Mm -hmm. like i like to cover a lot of ground if 
I can. Now, keep in mind, I'm not talking about my 100-acre farm where i got to go sit down by the clover field and yet two times and wait. If I'm in a new place and i got a lot of ground to cover, I believe in covering a lot of ground because I think the gobblers stay spread out pretty good. Now, that's not always the case, but kind of rare to, to see a, a really four, whatever, four-year-old longbeard with six two-year-olds with him. You just don't see that a lot. I think they disperse and they, they try to find their own hens and flocks and stuff like that so to me it's just it's really hard to pattern the flock in that that mid to late february thing because they do disperse that breeding instinct is strong i don't think they want to fight like that like they did that morning i don't think they want to do that all day so you know i always tell people what's they always ask what's the best thing the one thing i can do is the magic always and i tell them you spend 98 percent of your time finding a place to turkey hunt that has turkeys on it and the other two percent you may want to you know learn how to yelp or help the landowner or something like that but finding mm-hmm. those turkeys is hard sometimes because you know they're not always vocal especially on a public ground or even a hunting camp that you're sharing with you know five or six other guys pressure changes all that also right right i've heard some people over the years say that there's one turkey in one particular area on their property that's a big bad turkey and he's beat all the other turkeys up and got them shut up and that if you could get in there and kill that turkey it would open up that area for other turkeys to either come in or the turkeys that are there that are subordinate to start gobbling and and trying to call hens in. Do you feel like that's accurate and possible? Yeah, I do believe that. I've I've seen it happen several times. Now, it may not happen the next day, but once those subordinate turkeys don't hear that one, and I'm telling you, their voices and their gobbles are, are distinct and independent and all that, but I've had that happen. I mean, I've witnessed that three or four times. Last time was in Florida in a place near Jacksonville where, you know, a lot of times when I show up somewhere, I mean, it just depends on what's going on. I mean, they'll say, well, we're going to put Cuz. He's going to go down there and hunt old Limpy or something. And the last thing you want to do is fool with any turkey that's got a name. I'm just telling you that that ends up, that just ends up where I have to go. We'll see. You know, we're going to see. But anyway, there was this turkey. I don't remember if he was named or not, but he's like, I said, just send me where I can hear something. Because it takes me a while to fill things out. And, mm-hmm. you know, some guides want to be the, they want to be the hero. I said, well, just send me down there. That's fine. And it just so happened, yeah, I went down there. It's a beautiful place. And thank God for technology. I pulled up Google Earth on my cell phone. And I was just kind of sitting there real quiet. And this turkey gobbled, I don't know, 15 times. And I was looking at the, the lay of the land and all this kind of stuff. And I just kind of listened to where he went. I don't I don't remember if I ever even called to him or not. I, I, knowing me, I probably did. But I, I could look on the Google Earth thing and see, and that's probably cheating a little bit. Tom Kelly would throw a rock at me. But I could <laughs> see kind of by judging where he was going, what he went through and all that. And I went back in there that next morning and kind of got a little bit close to where he was and, and heard a couple of two or three turkeys fly up. But anyway, the next morning, the person I was guiding killed the turkey. I'm assuming it was the one that was gobbling. I mean, he didn't gobble once he hit the ground that morning. One, but it wasn't 10 minutes later he showed up. It was a, probably a three or four-year-old turkey. And I had two days left, and he sent me back in there. I mean, the next morning I heard two more turkeys, probably three or 400 yards from there. And the last morning I heard three more turkeys. There was five turkeys gobbled in this 1,000-acre, 600-acre patch of giant pines and stuff and palmettos I was in. And I know that's what happened. I've seen that happen two or three times. So they're, they're, their pecking order with the gobblers and the hens is just very strict. And uh, yes, I, be- I I believe that totally. If you can kill him now, you know 
the thing is, can you kill that big one and uh, or that old one? Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. The reason you don't kill those old turkeys is, is you know, a lot of times, they, you know, the satellite turkeys, the two-year-olds come in, and I'm never going to be one to pass up on a long beard. I don't care if he's one minute past two years old. I don't care if he's five years old. They're all trophies. That's one of the right. marvelous things about turkey hunting is you don't score them. I just I hate that part of deer hunting. I don't mind saying what a deer scored in a, in a reference in a conversation, but when you set that as a goal, it, to me, it just it kind of foils everything. But the big old turkeys that have dominance, they are harder to kill just because they keep turkeys around them all the time. Yeah. What about some mid-season patterns that you might typically see or have seen in the past? You know, maybe with the hens starting to slip off mid-morning and midday. How can we use that knowledge to our advantage while we're in the woods? Yeah. Well, you know, the first, the first, well, you know, the year I did the truth video, the truth about spring turkey, and I, wrote, I didn't keep a journal, but I wrote a lot of stuff down, and I don't remember why I did that. But anyway, I think looking back, I think eighty. I don't know how many turkeys were killed in that first eight, maybe 10 or something like that. But I can remember like eight of them were between 9.30 and 1 o'clock. That fly down, you know, classic right off the roof. It just almost never happened. Now, some of that's due to me uh, maybe not getting close enough with all the camera gear and all that. But it just seems like there were so many turkey hunts. And we stayed in the south on that one. We didn't travel and all that. So many of them were the same kind of deal, gobbled. Eight or ten times on the roofs, flew down, shut up, go through the lull, strike him again about ten o'clock, you know, and has, and especially toward mid-season or later season because you know the hens are leaving to go to sit on their nest and do all that. But I've always said, Bob Dixon used to say, "God rest his soul." If he had to pick, like I did, if I had to pick in the Home Tree National Forest to hunt from daylight till noon or noon till dark, I'd take noon to dark if I was just had to kill a turkey for a million dollars. Because now I love the gobble on the roost. That's always fun and exciting and all that. But you know, the, to me, that that magical time is after the lull. And everybody asks, "Well, when's the lull?" Well, the, that depends on a lot of things. Depends on if they were having an active morning, how many turkeys it was, what part of the breeding cycle they're in. But there's always that couple of hours after fly down where you think. You know, everybody thinks, well, I call too loud or I call too much or they saw me. Or and it's not any of that usually. It's just he's down there with a hen. That, that, that's right. why he gobbles. The hens come to him. He flies down. They stay in their little pod all day until the hens start finally going off to sit on the nest. And that's when I call them windows. you got to kill those gobblers when their window's open. It ain't always open when he's got 15 hens standing around him, you know. Yep. And people make stupid statements all the time. I heard a guy one time say, if he gobbles, I can kill him. And I immediately put 20 yards between me and him in case he got struck by lightning. I'm like, surely you didn't say that out loud. Because it's all about those hens. But the windows, that's why I like to cover a lot of ground. I think their windows are short, and sometimes they close quick. How many times have you struck a turkey later in the morning or later in the afternoon, and he's coming and closing the distance, and you're fired up? Because you know after that 10 o'clock hour, you get one to answer, your odds have just went way up. But how many times have you been cut off by a hen? It comes in yelping and stuff like that. It's just it's so exciting to get at that time of day. But again, those hens dictate everything. But after that lulls over that ten, eleven, twelve o'clock, that's to me that's a magic time. Yeah, yeah. You you asked that question about a hen coming in while you're working a turkey midday. The first gobbler that I ever killed was that happened yeah. when we were hunting that turkey. It was me and my buddy Chip Hughes, and we were. Um, we were hunting down in my hunting camp in southwest Alabama, and 
It was 10 o'clock in the morning. We had gotten this turkey to gobble. He was a, a fair ways off from where we were, so we cut the distance and got within, I'd say, probably 75 yards from him. It was late season, and the trees had leafed out pretty good. And we sat down. I sat down in front of Chip, and he starts calling. And the turkey's gobbling, but he's not coming any closer. And I hear this ruckus behind me like somebody's wrestling around in the leaves and I turn my head slowly around there and look and he is jumped up and running through the woods away from me and I'm thinking what on God's green earth is he doing and now I'm I'm new to turkey hunting at this point in time I've never seen anybody do that I'd always just heard when a turkey's coming in or a turkey's out in front of you you don't move because their eyesight's so good you don't make any kind of movement at all you you just get you can move your eyes and that's about as much as you're going to get away with and so after I didn't move I still just sat there after I don't know 30, 45 seconds, he comes back and he sits down against the same tree and he calls again and the turkey gobbles out in front of us. And I'm thinking, all right, I, I don't know what just happened, but I'm I'm still hunting. And I ended up killing that turkey. And as one of the biggest turkeys that I've, biggest Easterns I've ever killed, and I wish I'd gotten him mounted and I didn't do it. But after the hunt, we're reliving the hunt, telling the story and from his perspective, telling it from my perspective. And I said, why did you get up and just start running through the woods in the middle of the hunt. And he said, well, I didn't just randomly get up and run through the woods. He said, I had a hen coming into my calling, and she was going towards the gobbler, and I got up and ran her off the other direction so that she wouldn't get to him and shut him up or take him off somewhere. And that's the only reason we killed that turkey, because it's just what you said. For all of the hens that we see coming into that gobbler, there's probably... 10 to 15 more that we don't see and the gobbler just shuts up and we think he's gone off somewhere just what you said we yeah. spooked him his window closed mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right there's all yeah ben leaves to carry a tiny little slingshot with him you know he'd have three or four little pebbles or some acorns in his pocket and if he saw him eating that way man he'd, he'd do something to you know shoot at him with that slingshot or shoot over in that direction anything to to get them around and, and, and other things have a call in your mouth or close by if she you know puts or something you can you can call and cover that up but once once he got the real thing you're pretty much out of the picture then you know and and, and people yeah. tend to be sometimes too careful sometimes you can be a little more aggressive and some guys cringe when you say that but you know there's there's uh, there's i mean they're just turkeys you know right they're, they're not they're, they're not you know thinking human beings are just turkeys so uh, they are not superheroes I'm, I'm, and we that's right we do give them too much credit a lot of times i'm convinced after 40 years that people walk by the vast majority of their hunters their huntable turkeys and again this is my opinion but i'll see people and this i've done this ten thousand times they'll they'll stop and they'll crow and they'll owl and they may you know yep real soft yep on the box and move on well and, and there's been lots of times where i'll take that two call really loud two notes bap, bap, and it echoes a turkey or gobble well i think they're sitting there with their whatever they're doing they're listening to those sounds all day crows and owls and all don't mean they won't gobble to it they will but i mm-hmm. think you know so many times they're, they're just like a rubber band's winding up tight and they're sitting there listening to that stuff all day long and that rubber band's getting a little tighter and a little tighter and sometimes a crow or an owl or a normal yelp may not do it you know, and I want to make sure that if I'm going to try to get one to shock gobble, as they say, well, I want to mm-hmm. I want to give him every opportunity. So I do that first. I don't do 
a crow in the afternoon or an owl, and and, and people say you're nuts because if you can get him to gobble at a crow or an owl or something, he doesn't know a hen's there. That's true, but I think that they're way more likely to gobble at that, to shot gobble at that loud, bap, 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 you know, that cut sound or something like that than they are a crow or an owl or something like that. Now, again, that's my opinion from somebody lugging a big heavy camera having to make something happen, but I can't tell you how yeah. many times I've let guys go through their routine and say, you mind if I call? Because when you're with another good turkey hunter, it's always awkward. You know, it's like, well, I'll let him call. Do I call? But I'm, I'm not shy in saying, hey, do you mind if I call here before we move on? And so many times that's happened because I think they're just in the middle of their routine. The hens are a little bit away, and he hadn't thought about them in 20 or 30 minutes, and that, that loud, sharp cut may get him. And once he gobbles, then I'm good. I mean, I'm not going to go sit by a clover field for three hours. I just ain't going to do that. But once he gobbles, I'm good. I know he's there. Then I don't mind sitting down and getting real patient then. But, you know, again, some people will cringe and say you're nuts. You can't just run through the woods yapping, and that ain't what I do. If I'm moving through the woods, I'll pick a spot, and I'll say, okay, if I hear a turkey gobble, I can sit right there, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'll I'll hit that tube call. Some people can do it with a a paddle box, or some people can do it with a high-pitched light or something. But I, I'm, I'm all about kind of spilling my candy on that first note. And uh, don't always have to do that, but I'm always dealing with things like you, that, that works better on hard-headed, stubborn, kind of pressured turkey. Yeah. Do you think that that's more effective as a last resort call so that you don't spook one if he happens to be 75 yards from you? No, I don't mind. Do you think that matters? No, I really don't. It's a turkey sound. You know, they do it. I've spent so much time sitting in the woods over the last however many years with a video camera and hearing turkeys do this, hearing turkeys do that. It's just a turkey sound. You know, they mm-hmm. cut when they're excited. I saw one, the first hen I saw doing that, she walked out into this pasture and stopped and jumped up the man and said, bah, 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 bah. And I was fascinated by that. Made a turkey gobble way back in the swamp. I gave her a few minutes. And as I was easing down there, right to that little spot where she was, there was a dang snake laying down there, big around. It looked like something in the jungle. But huh. That's what she. That's when she cut. I think when she walked up on that snake. Maybe uh-huh. the snake opened his mouth or something. But it's just a turkey sound, you know. And and look, the deal is the magic number in turkey hunting is three. Once a guy's killed three turkeys, you you can't tell him anything. <laughs> I'm I'm just going by what's worked for me for 40 years, and I don't mean that I can't sit down and get myself really comfortable and scratch in the leaves for two hours once I know he's out there, but I'm just telling you that people walk by 80% of the turkeys they could hunt and never know they're there, and for me, if if he don't gobble, I'm not going to hunt him. I just, mm-hmm. I'm just not into that. So, again, everybody's style's different. Whatever's successful for you, that's good. And I love the owl hoot early in the morning. You know, I can do it with my natural voice. I generally don't try to do anything for the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes. I try to let it happen on its own. But after I'm thinking, okay, it's past time, then I'm going to be fairly aggressive to get a gobble out of one man. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good strategy. I think that's something that people can definitely try this spring and have some good luck with. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Well, it's just about confidence. That's the difference. You know, people ask me, I, I was doing a seminar at the NWTS, and I said, well, what makes you guys so good? What's, what makes a great turkey? And I said, it's one thing, and that's attitude. And I've been with some of the guys who have the best attitude. It's like one guy walked to a stream that's three and a half foot deep running fast, and he looks at me and he says, man, I ain't crossing that. It's going to get wet, and I'm going to get cold. And other guy's like, I guarantee you nobody's yet in those woods, and he's wading that creek. Or mm-hmm. one guy's at the bottom of the hill saying, there's no 
way I'm climbing that hill. I'm going to go back and get up this way. And other guy's like, if I get to the top of that hill, I can hear forever. And it's mm-hmm. all attitude, you know. And, you know, once you, you, you get that mindset and you're successful a bit and it breeds confidence, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of contagious. Yeah. What are some of the late season patterns or habits that turkeys may have that we need to know about that typically you'll see where we can, something that we can take advantage of? Yeah, well, again, I, you know, so so much of that depends on where you're hunting them and how much hunting pressure they've had. You know, how mm-hmm. many times have they been bumped? How many times have they heard an ATV? How many times have guys blown them out of the trees and stuff like that? But, you know, the, the later part of the season, to me, this has just kind of been a rule of thumb. The later, the later it is in the season, the later your possibilities are in the afternoon of killing the turkey. I just think, you know, then that 3 o'clock, and four o'clock and five o'clock that that starts kind of getting to be magic then that's when i'll have enough patience to go sit by a field where maybe they're they're bugging you know now mm-hmm. all the grasshoppers are stuff out the bugs are out and everything and i don't mind sitting there i always got binoculars with me and i'm looking for that's the time you're you're looking way more than you're listening because the foliage is so heavy by then you know you i mean you could have a turkey gobbling at 80 yards and if he's facing the other way you may not hear him if there's a puff of wind you know they they lose a little bit of that turbo charge as the season goes through. They can regulate that volume. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that time of year, you, to me, binoculars get to be real important. I think people bump way more turkeys late in the season than they do early because they'll hear one, and they're used to making up that ground. Where, you know, they walk under them so many times because they've gobbled so many times. I think it's almost like they're getting hoarse. So people get too close to them. But that's the time of year when you got to look a little bit, look for fans, you know, look for heads, be way patient. But, you know, the gobblers, they're still ready. They're they're really ready. So, you know, a little more eyesight and a little less vocal late in the year, you know, because that foliage is so thick. And it's a great time to hunt them because so many of the hunters have quit. You know, you got the guy that hunts right. the opening weekend. You got the guy that will hunt every morning for, a, you know, a week. And you got the guy that will go one more time. And by the end of the season, when the snow are out and mosquitoes and you got most of that to yourself then right yeah why do you think it is that turkeys and gobblers specifically seem to gravitate towards fields later in the season i think i think to me i think it's 90 percent insects you know that's just now's when that, that's when they start coming out and that's easy pickings i mean those whatever it is out there it could be fescue or it could be you know whatever it is wild onions or clover whatever's growing out there everything is wanting to eat it while it's young while it's at its first shoots and all that i think the majority of that's about insects and plants it's all about food you know they've been in those woods all winter you know trying to stay away from stuff and in the in the in the deer season those fields are are, are low the deer have gotten to meet now when that stuff starts popping up i think to me i think it's about all food and mostly insects and that's why you you use binoculars and stuff so much not that i i not that i like field turkeys i hate them that's the most aggravating thing in the world but if that's the only game in town you know that's where you go to find them if nothing else you can see where they exited the field late you know and get a good idea where they're roosting but i think it's i think it's all food related and mostly insects so do you think that that the gobblers are altering their patterns at all based on where they're finding hens, which would 
tend to be in areas that hens are going to be nesting yeah. as well? Yeah, sure. They, they're going to they're going to find the hens because you know at some point the the hens if if they get with a gobbler at all, it's just for a few short seconds or minutes in the morning, then they're gone. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're going to go get their food. I don't know how many hours they spend on that, that mess. They'll get up and go get water and stuff like that. So he's going to alter himself by covering way more ground, just like a deer at the end of the rut. He's going to be traveling a lot, big time. Right. So, you know, again, you never know where you're going to find them. Again, that's why I like to cover a lot of ground to look in fields or yep down that hall or whatever it is. But, you know, you got to use your eyes a lot more when it gets late in the season like that. Yeah. What are some of the daily patterns a turkey has? can give you my idea of what a, I think a daily pattern is. I mean, I don't know if they have a daily pattern because, that, that, again, that depends on where you live down here, what kind of spring we're going to have. Is it going to be deer season again for two more weeks when it's dreary? It's just cloudy and cold and all that. But it's all to do with those shoots and buds and buds and trees and the types of trees coming out. If those are the only ones that's budding, you know, the turkeys are going to spend way more time in the trees in the morning before they fly down. I grew up along the Mississippi River, and some of the land I got to hunt down there flooded. And I actually saw turkeys that would stay in trees all day because it was hot. But they would, the mm-hmm. buds were just gorgeous up in those, whatever they were, oak trees and stuff like that. And they would just limb from limb to limb to limb. They'd stay up there and eat those buds off and on all day long. I, I think wow. it's food-driven more than anything else. Now, you know, once it gets to a point where everything's kind of greened up and it's real pretty, they've got shady places that they may go to in the woods. Somebody says they go there to strut. I have a tough time finding those magical zones like that because uh, I, I move around a lot. But, you know, to me, the patterns have way more to do with food than they do anything else because once the hens have established where they're going to nest, then the food closest to that is where they're going to be all day long. So, you know, again, it, to me, it's so, it's so much just like a deer. It's so much food-related. You know, they're finding the insects, and now these have hatched out over here. Or this field's got new clover that just busted through and it's a constant you know vigilance of seeing what they're eating and not everybody has that much time to go out in the woods and, and look at the sign and all that kind of stuff that's why they depend on that gobble so much but you know if there's lots of hens and not many gobblers you may not hear much gobbling the weather may be bad you know like in missouri last year it rained every day they had a terrible turkey season and if you didn't know what those turkeys were feeding you were just in a world of hurt right yeah. Well, can you share with us the story of your most recent successful turkey hunt and the one or two things that made that hunt a success? Well, um, you know, a successful turkey hunt for me is one where I just go. I don't care who I'm with. <laughs> I, if, if I get to go turkey hunting, I'm successful. There and you I'm, go. I love I'm, it. I'm 60 years old, so success to me is way different than it is to somebody else. You know, the last turkey hunt I went on last year was pretty unbelievable. I took... Uh, uh, R.J. Molinaire from Swamp People, and he's a. We don't do tons of stuff with celebrities, but I love that show, and I loved how he talked about nature all the time. You know, mm-hmm. on those gator things and using the Native American ways and all that. And I saw him somewhere at a show, and uh, he was zero interested in killing a turkey or a bear. He said it was too easy. And I said, wow. you need to go turkey hunting with me. And I, and I took him out to Nebraska. The only time he could go was in May. And uh, we took I took him out to Nebraska. And the first, I don't know, afternoon and the whole next day, we didn't kill a turkey. The wind was blowing 45 miles an hour. And he said, oh, mm-hmm. I could crawl over here. And I said, we're not going to do that. We're going to trick him. 
fan square. And when when he got his first turkey, this this turkey had 12 hens with it, maybe something like that. And we sat down to the turkey probably about 7:20, 7:45, something like that. And he shot him at 11:30. Wow. And it was the most unbelievable video ever. The thing would strut toward us, and the hands would call him back. And we'd move, and he'd strut toward us, and the hands would call him back. And I finally did some of the moving way back behind him and all this. And finally, I kept the turkey's attention long enough to where the hands had drifted off to about 100 yards. And you could tell, you could see it plain as day. He looked that way and looked my way and looked at and he finally said, okay, I'm coming. And when he shot that turkey, it was like a, a really long hunt. And he was yeah. just, he was just like, I, I'm now, I get it. And I said, I told you, man, it's not always too easy. And to me, that was very satisfying because it meant more for him to see how you trick them fair and square, right. you know, and uh, that, that was pretty successful hunt for me, as, as all of them are. Yeah. What do you think you did that made that turkey leave those hens? I didn't make him leave the hens. It's just as time wore on, they would get less interested in him, and he would get less okay. interested in those, and it was perseverance more than anything. It wasn't anything else going along, and thank goodness he was in a field to where I could see him. There was an old mm-hmm. abandoned shack there, some big timber, and I could crawl around and move, see him. They'd come back this way and go that way. And it finally, he the hens got far enough away where they were technically still a flock but he was 100 yards away and i'd been calling to him a little bit every 20 or 30 minutes and when he heard that yelp i guess he was probably a little closer to me than those hens were to him and it's like okay Okay. she sounded like she might be interested so i'm just gonna ease on up this way it was like it was way more geography related than it was calling related i've never personally been very successful calling a gobbler away from hens and right. I don't know of anybody that is. People may tell you that, but if they do, I'm I, again. I'm gonna put some distance in between me and them so I don't get struck by lightning. But I, I just don't think you do that that often. <laughs> that one was a geography thing more than anything. Yeah, I love a good liar turkey hunting story. <laughs> There's plenty of them out there. I, I will promise you. You know, that's one of the, the greatest things about turkey hunting, especially when I travel a lot. Is kind of sizing people up, and it's just amazing for me to see this guy how he acts and what he says and all that. Because I, I, you know, I've been up the road. I mean, I've been with. I mean, just name the name. I've been with them. You know, mm-hmm. whether it's Harold and David, you know, Harold Mike, David Hill, Eddie Salter. I've hunted with all those guys. And mm-hmm. and the one thing that they've got that sticks true is, number one, they're a sponge. They ain't telling you always how to do it. They're like, you know, they're, they're always listening. And they're always humble because they've just been kicked right in the mouth by turkeys a thousand times. Right. And, and generally when somebody's real arrogant about them, it's because they hadn't done it much. So. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> it does to me. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you do have the, I'm going to call it a job perk, and I'm sure at times you may call it a little bit of a curse, and that is getting to travel around a good bit, turkey hunting. Where all are you traveling this season? You know, filming the turkey hunts for TV, that's kind of a young man's game. I don't do it that much anymore, but mm-hmm. I still do. I call myself the mascot for Mossy Oak a lot of times. I go places and I'll hunt to hunt with sponsors, licensees who are making stuff out of Mossy Oak, be it, you know, whoever, Remington right. or Browning or whoever it is. And so I go to a lot of places and I'm kind of a guide slash entertainment slash cook. Everybody thinks you get to hunt all the time. Well, it's not exactly like that. But, you know, you can't, I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world now. You know, 99% of the people I deal with are great. Sometimes you get the complainer or can't you call that turkey across the river that don't understand. 
but the majority of the time it's it's great and you do get to see how turkeys act in different places and and you get to go to some great spots that where they're not as pressured and you get to go out west where it's disneyland though you know to me those are great places to take people who you really really want to kill a turkey because they're just uh, yeah. different god right. bless them i love going out to texas and going to nebraska and wherever but it, it's not like hunting around the house i mean i can remember when i hunted in the home into the forest if i was lucky enough to hear a turkey fly up which was rare I can remember laying in the bed and not being able to sleep trying to decide if I was going to yell any to that turkey the next morning. Am I going to make one sound? Because you think, well, if wow. I do, he's going the other way. If I don't, some, you know, it's you grow up hunting those kind of turkeys, you can really appreciate some that don't get as much pressure as these turkeys in the southeast do. Or, And I'm not saying just the southeast, Pennsylvania, New York, all up in there, those turkeys oh, yeah. get hunted to death. So, oh, yeah. Different creature. But, yeah, I do have a perk. I've seen lots of turkeys in lots of different places, and they're all magnificent. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about what's going on at Mossy Oak. Do you guys have anything new and exciting over there for this season? Oh, yeah. We're, we're releasing a new pattern. It, it actually won't be available probably till the fall, but it's called Break Up Country. And, you know, the technology just keeps getting better and better and better. I'm I'm really excited about this one. It's got a little green. I love green and camo. You can't always have just those deer hunting colors, and nobody better at figuring that out than Toxie. But here in the south, it looks kind of like a pine needle. If you're north, it might look a little bit like a fur limb or mm-hmm. something like that. But it's an unbelievable pattern. The technology it used to be Toxie would. It was basically an artist rendering of what was in Toxie's head. And now you can take the elements and put them on computer and this one has really big elements in it so the breakup effectiveness of this is pretty unbelievable and i'm personally crazy about the name uh we we're gonna have a pretty big ad campaign about that name and what what does it mean to you to be country you know and it's just Mm -hmm. the perfect name but it probably won't be available for turkey season the amazing thing about mossy oak is it's as exciting and as good as this new pattern is and as the reception for this one from our customers and licensees has been unbelievable but you know i just got back from uh, max prairie rings and stuff they had a huge turkey event there. Although that's the duck hunting store of the world, and every the, everything you saw there was bottomland, original bottomland. People love bottomland. It's just like right. consumer request has brought that pattern back. And when you go turkey hunting, you'll see green leaves and you know uh, mm-hmm. all full foliage and stuff. So you know it's it's almost like the young people are buying the older patterns on eBay because they like the tradition. Right. It, and that makes that just that's got to warm your heart. But I love green and camouflage. That's why I, I love the obsession patterns and all so much. But mm-hmm. that's why the new country will do unbelievably well. Don't think you'll see much this spring, but it'll certainly be available in the fall. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, growing up hunting in West Alabama and not being too terribly far from West Point, Mississippi, Mossy Oak was the popular pattern around where we hunted. And, you know, I know some of those guys that were there at Mossy Oak in the early part of the, of the company's path, I guess I should say, mm-hmm. hunted with Bob Dixon and Tony Rossetti. And so, you know, we got to see a lot of those patterns when they'd come out and, and see the evolution of all of those over the years. And I had to tell you, one of my friends that I was at the NWTF convention with, when he saw the bottomland pattern he just freaked out mm-hmm. he was like oh yeah i knew i heard it was coming back it's back i'm getting some and he bought he bought him a bottom land outfit he's all excited and ready to go and he said he said well are you gonna get get you bottom land i said 
no, I'm, I'm not going to get bottom land. I'm going to get obsession. He said, well, why aren't you getting bottom land? And he went on for about five minutes just wondering why I wasn't getting bottom yeah. land. Well, it's, it's an amazing thing. I, I saw, I had a kid telling me a story at the NWDF convention. His, his, his friend, I think they were like 15 years old, and his friend texted him a picture said, I just found the coolest camel pattern ever. It's called old school. And he flipped his phone to the picture down there, and it was bottom land. And, and his kids are buying it off of eBay if they find old stuff. But you know, it's you know that's why mossy oak exists. You know, it's called toxic fashion for wanting to be invisible in the woods to turkeys. That's what started the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's been an amazing ride. I've been here since January of 1988. And I can remember Clear Bell. I was giving a tour to these outdoor riders. We had them up here, and we went by Toxie's office to visit. One of them asked, Toxie, can, can we read your mission statement? And he fumbled around in his desk, the old metal desk, for a minute, and he finally pulls out this piece of paper. There's a corner torn off of just a legal pad, and he handed it over. And in pencil, it said, keep the team together. And he said, that's the mission statement. And uh, that's kind of how it's run over here. You know, it's it's, uh, it's, it's just yeah. a passion. People are late for work because they're turkey hunting. They've gone early because their kids have ball practice. And I think that spills over into the marketing thing about what's really important. Not what your deer score or how long was it a turkey's beard. It was about did you live a better life because you were outside today. And that's, that's not a marketing tagline. It's just how it is over here. So. Right, yeah. That's awesome. Well, cuz I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to talk turkey with me and all the listeners and are there any last thoughts that you want to share before we sign off and I'll let you get back to the real world? Yeah, well, I, look, I appreciate it. It kept me from blowing a gasket to get some of that out cuz like I say it opens Saturday, but I always try to leave people with a message and it's like like I told you earlier, it's like, you know, there's millions. Right now is the perfect time between whatever happened, Duck Dynasty, Meat Eater, all these reality shows where people are killing game and all that so many people want to live that lifestyle and they don't know how you can't it ain't like golf you can't go get a lesson for 30 minutes and i tell people listen this is an amazing fact if everybody that hunts would take one person and ever i'm telling you they're next door to you they ain't even got to go far if everybody would take one person and get them hooked on hunting we would double our numbers in one hunting season how, how awesome would that be? So, you know, if you've gotten good at it or you've gotten better at it, try to share it with somebody and, and, and don't make them feel like they don't know anything. Just kind of put your arms around them and teach them a little bit, and maybe they'll teach somebody. And so if I can say anything, just take somebody with you that's never been and, you know, be safe. Awesome advice. <laughs> well, thank, like thank you for having me. I appreciate you letting me talk turkey for so long. Because I'll do it any time. All right, buddy. Have a so- good one. You do the same. Good luck to you this season. All right, bye-bye. Okay, bye. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Cuz. I really enjoyed interviewing him. I learned a great deal on the call, and I was very excited to have him on the show this week. Okay, so let's get into the new segment of the show called Ask the Turkey Hunter. If you have questions you'd like to ask me, email those questions to askandy at imturkeyhunting.com. Askandy at imturkeyhunting.com. And I will get to those questions. And like I've said all along, if I don't know the answer to the question, then I'll get a special guest on to answer the question for us. I had some thoughts and opinions about this question that Chris Morris had. I felt like I'd get a turkey hunting expert on the call to give his insight and his opinions about what's going on. And so I've got Chris Parrish on the line, and I've got Chris Morris on the line, and this is the end result. Chris Parrish. How are we, Abby? 
I'm well. How are you this evening? Good. Good deal. Do I have Chris Morris on the line? Yes, I'm here. All right. Chris Morris, meet Chris Parrish. <laughs> nice to meet you, Chris. I, nice to meet you, Chris. I guess we won't get our names. You may not get your names mixed up, but I might get <laughs> you your will. names mixed up. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> you got to remember which Chris uh, you're talking to. That's right. I'll have to say, I'll have to say first and last names for sure. There you go. Well, well, Chris Morris, tell Chris Parrish and me a little bit about your situation real quick, and let's see if we can maybe help you out. Uh, I have uh, two pro- two leases that I hunt. One's, uh, one's approximately probably 1,100 acres, and one's approximately 3,000 acres. And uh, it's pine plantation, uh, of course, uh, the... But with both both pieces of land, uh, not not hearing any turkeys gobbling, uh, finding their tracks in the roads, and uh, but but not not hearing any gobbling whatsoever. And I thought, I guess I've been 16, 16 days probably this year. Wow. And we're just just not. I'm just. I, I've heard I've heard two gobblers uh, this year, and of course. That was back uh, probably the 23rd of March was the last one I heard, and both both turkeys, of course, were across property line. Uh, I've yet to hear one on. Kind of odd, you know. I'm in I'm in Southwest Alabama, so we have pretty good turkey population in this area. But that's what I was talking with Andy. I'm not sure if it's a predator problem or a bunch of dominant dominant birds or, or what the deal is. There's a lot of factors that can can play a play a role in you know when you're not hearing any gobbling but you're finding sign and and I'm assuming you're finding fresh sign sign that's you know not made a month ago and, and of course you you've heard some turkeys there um, there's a lot of yes. a lot of things that can happen you know obviously predation can play a big role uh, I don't believe in call shy turkeys because they would never mate and you wouldn't have young turkeys. <clears throat> I believe in pressure, which could be caused from a lot of things. But it sounds like to me, if I was going to put my thumb on this and really say you may have a problem is, one, if you've had a really good hatch over the past couple of years and you have some jakes, you may have some mean old jakes that have those those adult gobblers pushed off the property. It happens quite often. Okay. Uh, they'll, they'll beat up on, on old gobblers. They just, for some reason, they do it and They'll gang up like a bunch of schoolboys, you know, and go to picking on them. And another thing that, that we had happen just this past week on six, actually it was closer to 7,000 acres than it was 6,000 acres, and this is very strictly managed private place, but it has neighbors, is we right. had the neighbors bordering it, baiting the turkeys off the place. Uh, the, tur- the turkeys yeah. were actually on the edges of the property, and they were being baited off the place. Now, there was a few turkeys staying on the property because, obviously, the baited property was getting hunted, and there was a few turkeys being pushed back on it. But let's think about 6,500 acres or better in phenomenal turkey country with hardwoods and everything else in South Alabama, yeah. around Moundville, there's going to be a bunch of turkeys on it, yes, and yes. and there wasn't, and and uh, we finally went to snooping and looking and and really putting our head heads together, and we we found that the turkeys were on the edges and they were being baited off, and if I had to put my finger on it, I'd put I'd put if I had a hundred dollars, I'd bet ninety nine dollars that you're getting baited on, and the other dollar on other circumstances. Yeah. Okay. Well, that 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 would make some you know some uh, some, some sense because I'm seeing a few tracks. Like I say, it, some of them is close to the property line, but I'm seeing a few in the roads. But I'm not you know I'm not seeing just tons. Of, what I told Andy, what I have been seeing is is uh, some county tracks and some some domestic dog tracks. Dogs uh, will do was, it too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you know, coyotes aren't that bad, Chris. I mean, coyotes are gonna mm-hmm. a, a coyote catching an adult gobbler is is not 
a real likely thing. It just doesn't happen very often. Obviously, okay. he'll, he'll yeah. get a hold of a hen on the nest and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Uh, but an adult gobbler is a, you know, bobcat will get a hold of an adult gobbler every now and again. But he's a, yeah. adult gobbler is a pretty tough, pretty pretty tough critter to get their hands on. But right. a domestic dog, you know, the problem is if you've got three or four or five domestic dogs running around, they just push them off the property because they're running mm-hmm. the property all the time. They just never stop. Yeah, yeah. Where a coyote kind of makes his little rounds, you know, he makes his little milk run and then and then he's moving on. But mm-hmm. a dog gets in there and he goes to chasing and pushing and every day he does the same thing. Well, pretty soon the fun goes away and then he leaves the property yeah. and a few weeks later, you know, some birds will move back in. But uh, you know, dogs could be could be the cause. I I, I wouldn't yeah. definitely wouldn't rule that out at all. But yeah. I would say that if you did some real serious snooping, you mm-hmm. probably find you've got some neighbors that have some corn piles yeah. out there somewhere, or some Milo yeah. piles or something. Right. Yeah. Hmm. That, okay. Um, the domestic dogs is one of the things I was going to hit on um, because they will just what Chris said they'll run on you know and it's it's not for a meal it's for fun whereas mm-hmm. yeah. the coyote knows that if it's not going to catch a meal after a few seconds it's going to stop because it's got to conserve its energy to actually catch a meal whereas right. the domestic dog knows it's going to go home and he's going to eat and yeah. they will they will flat chase your turkeys off and hmm. yeah. and or shut them up so the turkeys are just there not making any sound at all yep yeah. i always uh, i always look at it like this if every time you opened your mouth and i slapped you you probably whipped me but in reality you think about it you, if somebody slapped you every time you open your mouth you'd quit opening your mouth and that's kind of what's going <laughs> yeah. on there you know yeah right yeah. right that, that makes that makes good sense I was looking into the, the idea, of course, with uh, with kind of the insights on the turkey, uh, the coyotes not really being a big threat. But I was thinking about I actually have two or three some of the spring uh, cold spring coyote traps, and uh, you know, the, you know the new traps. Yeah. They don't actually they're still traps, but they don't they don't break the leg. They just capture the leg. Mm-hmm. So it, it would also catch capture domestic dogs, but it would you know would not harm them. Right. Uh, we we did not have any houses. We have one house near this three thousand acres, and I can't believe that it's really, you know, all his dogs that's going all over this three thousand acres. I'm thinking there may be some like some stray dogs that somebody dumped out or something. And I was wondering if if you know if that would be a ethical thing to do, try to trap them out or you know, and I don't know. Well, I mean, there's a lot of you know, there, there's a lot of questions there on that, yeah. and and I'm certainly not one to 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 run and and judge anybody's ethics because it's a piece of property, and and you may be leasing it, and I always feel that if yeah. a guy's paying money for a piece of property, you know, he pretty much should have the say so on what goes on there, yeah. and if somebody's animals are not being cared for by the owner, then, you know, there obviously needs to be discussion upon that point. Yeah. And uh, you mm-hmm. certainly could, could, could trap those dogs and, and uh, um, you know, try to find out whose they are by, yes. you know, yeah. by doing that and, and, you know, obviously not harming them to uh, exactly, yeah. in that respect. And, and that would probably be a, an intelligent thing to do, uh, one. But I'll, I'll reiterate the fact that, you know, we don't think much about game cameras when we turkey hunt and and actually they can be a real bonus and a real benefit mm-hmm. this time of year you know a multi game camera and I, I would think about uh, maybe throwing a couple game cameras out on these properties 
and and seeing one getting pictures of turkeys and seeing what's going on but two also yeah. kind of where you're seeing these tracks and where you're seeing this uh this frequent activity of dogs slash coyotes just kind of getting an idea and with those pictures and it wouldn't take but a few days you can go back and find out if these are the, the landowners or bordering landowners uh dogs or what the heck's going on and it would give you uh, a little bit of insight of what's happening um okay. i've done that before and, and you know, it's surprising what you see, and it's surprising, too, what those game cameras will reveal when it comes to what's going on with the turkeys. You know, they may just be in one of those phases where they're just not doing much, and, and, and it doesn't sound like that's the case on your end. It sounds like to me yeah. you got a lot more going on there, but yeah. but I would that would be one way to, to kind of do a little uh, Dick Tracy private investigation right. and kind of find out, and it would give you some insight and further your knowledge of what may be going on this, on these properties. Are these properties close to one another? Are they no, far apart? They're far, yeah, they're apart. They're probably uh, 20 miles away from each other. Yeah, it seems kind of ironic that they would be uh, yeah. that far apart. And, and it just almost sounds like to me that, yes, you could have some domestic dog problems, yeah. but I would really investigate the property lines. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm, I'm guessing you've got some baiting going on more than anything, and they're just pulling okay. those turkeys off of you, and you're, right. you're chasing something that's just not living there anymore. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I say, during deer season, you know, of course, the way, way it always is, you see a lot of turkey, a lot of sign, and, and now when turkey season rolls around, I'm seeing a few gobbler tracks just walking the road, but but just not the amount of sign that I would that I would think. Because this area, especially the uh, 3,000 acre club, this is my first year in this club, the 3,000 acre lease, but uh, I'm really the only one that really hunts it. There's one other guy that really hunts and he but he's only he's only been up like twice the whole season so right. it's not getting heavily pressured at all right and i've got right. i've got one of the little electric buggies so you know it's not getting like you know a lot of noise that's disturbing the turkeys or anything either you know right right and you right. know even if you were i mean a human yeah. activity unless it's just real crazy it's not yeah. normally going to bother them too much anyway okay. i mean it's not like they're going to leave the country over it by no means yeah do you know much history on the place? I mean, has it been noted to be a pretty good turkey place, and are you just not familiar with with whether yeah, it's a well, really good turkey the, place? Yeah, uh, yeah. The guy, the guy that hunts. Actually, I think there's one or two guys, but really only one guy's been up all year. He's been twice. He said in the past that, uh, well, he said even last year they heard a lot of goblin turkeys. You know, the time they come up, you know, he'd bring a guest occasionally. I think they, you know, they they only come a few times a year, but they would kill two or three gobblers normally. Uh, he he told me that that they had heard as many as you know between I think three of them one one had heard as many as twelve gobblers. This was like a, maybe three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like I say, during deer season, you get a lot of turkeys on your trail cameras. You see a lot of them in the little fields, you know, the little patches. So I mean, they're definitely there. At least they're there during the deer season. He said historically they've been there during the turkey season. Well, I, I would. I would lean way toward mm-hmm. the fact that you're probably getting baited and the turkeys yeah. are leaving your property. Yeah. And uh, although turkeys will make some changes between fall and spring as far as their right. transition or where they go, but if there's been turkeys there in spring in the past, yeah. there'll be turkeys there in the future. And, you know, I would guess that uh, you're, you're certainly probably getting baited. And, and okay. what, you know, what you have to do at that point is is probably get the conservation department involved mm-hmm. and, and try to yes. get a handle around that and, 
you know, kind of make it fair for everybody because it's certainly not going right. to be fair if your neighbor's neighbor's baiting and it's illegal and, and, you know, they've got all the turkeys and you don't have anything to hunt. <laughs> yeah, turkey just isn't very uh, much fun to hunt if he's not, if he's not gobbling. <laughs> hey, that's, yeah, I, I do not like to deer hunt turkeys. I, I'm, uh, I, I said uh, the same thing. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. If I know he's there and I know it's just a weather condition or a situation right. and I have to do it, I'll yeah. do it. But uh, yeah. I deer hunt because I love to deer hunt. But I right. turkey hunt because I love the turkey hunt, and I don't want to. Com- I don't really like to combine the both of them, you know. No, no, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. in the same camp as that. Well, let, let me ask you this. this: I don't, I don't really uh, buy into this, but I, I've actually heard. I'm sure you probably, y'all probably think the same way, but they said that I read an article that that uh, that some of the uh, some of the turkeys. The turkeys that are gobbling, uh, you know, of course, you know, get called in and get killed. They said that the goblin turkey is, is actually slowly getting uh, bred out of turkeys because the ones that don't gobble live, and the ones that gobble actually, uh, you know, susceptible to calls and, you know, get shot, and they don't pass their genes on. Uh, do you think there's anything to that, or that's just... Well, I mean, obviously... Uh you know, pressure from man and pressure yeah. from outside sources, uh, predation and, and all of the above yeah. can certainly quiet turkeys down. Yeah. But we have to understand that turkeys breed and they make babies and we have new turkeys take their place. And so there's always going to be that, that group of goblin turkeys as mm-hmm. long as we have some decent hatches. Now, sometimes okay. we go yeah. for a few years where we don't have as good a hatches, but turkeys have to gobble to let hens know where they're at yeah. and Yes, I truly believe that there's turkeys that don't gobble very much. Now, do they go the whole year without gobbling? No, I don't believe that. Will they maybe go for three or four days and not say a word? Certainly, absolutely, I believe that. But um, none of us are on a piece of property at any given time all day long throughout the whole season. And so we really can't put a finger on that and there be any truth to it. Um, Again, there's a lot of... Uh, perspective to what goes on but there's no real no real truthful answer about the whole deal i think there's going to be goblin turkeys no matter what there's going to be okay. days when they gobble i can tell you i mean guys wouldn't kill inch and seven eighths or two inch spurred turkeys that are five six seven years old if every now and again they didn't gobble and and get their mind all screwed up because of a of a little girlfriend hen but yeah, yeah, yeah sometimes they're going to go for days and not do it but yeah. um i certainly think we've 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 quieted turkeys down over the years with our pressure mm-hmm. and, pred, and yes. predation but yeah. i certainly don't think we've 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 knock the gobble out of them they just they're just out there being turkeys you know again yeah. if we're pursued and we're chased and uh, our buttons are pushed on a daily basis we tend to uh, veer away from those things that cause that but uh we still screw up you know and and make that same mistake and turkeys are going to do the same thing i mean that's how six and a half and seven and a half year old nocturnal deer get killed that yeah. They finally, uh, finally make a stupid mistake and walk around during daylight hours, and a guy is able to harvest them. So, you know, yeah. I think you're just getting baited on. I think that's probably okay. the, the uh, 99% of the problem, and they're just pulling your turkeys off of you, and, and uh, you know, you're probably going to have to involve law enforcement and kind of see what you can find out. I mean, it's an unfortunate thing, but <laughs> some people like to cheat yeah. when they hunt. Yeah, yeah. I think okay, the whole appreciate breeding the, the gobbling out of turkeys is biologically, I think it's impossible because you, if a turkey's not yes, gobbling, nature, yeah. you're having a harder time calling in hens to even breed right. with, first of all. And sure. then secondly, where you hunt, Chris Morris, and where I hunt, 
the birds are mating and breeding a good two weeks to three weeks before our season even starts. Right. So that that gene, that gobbling gene, if there is such a thing, is already being passed on before we ever kill the goblin bird. Okay. Yep, and, yeah. that, and that's that, that's that's the same way here, and I think that is all yeah. over the U.S. You just yeah. you always have a, a couple of weeks before the season where there's still breeding going on. You know, majority of it may not be done, but a, but but some of it being done. And yeah. you're you're correct, Andy. It's uh, I just don't think it's uh, physiologically and biologically yeah, that, possible. Yeah, that's yeah. that's logical. Uh, one last question. Uh, down here in Alabama, I guess right now it's pretty much the time where the uh, hens are pretty much uh, going to nest full time, or they should be mm-hmm. within the next few days. Mm-hmm. I mean, wh- even if even if I'm having a little bit of uh, trouble with mating or or a few dogs that's on the property, there, should, there ought to be a pocket here or there somewhere. They should. I mean, I would think he would almost have to gobble within the next week or two. I mean, do you, you think you think that they would still be shut down, or is there? You think this time of the year they almost have to gobble because that hen's not with them? Well, I think you're going to probably find that. And, yeah. and I would start hunting closer to the property lines just yeah. in case they are over there and you right. call them across. I mean, that's probably yeah. the only real answer to that. Yeah. Um, but I certainly believe that without question when those hens go to nest, and sometimes it yeah. takes a few days for the gobbler to kind of realize everything's right. not going his way. But I certainly believe that there's going to be, and there always is, a time period when there's that second peak of gobbling. And mm-hmm. I don't believe it lasts quite as long as that first peak, but there's mm-hmm. certainly a three or four or five-day window there when uh, when they have got that, uh, when, when their buttons can be pushed and they will do whatever it takes to get to a hen. I, I, I think if you keep your finger on the pulse, you'll probably, you'll probably wind up finding a little bit of luck in there somewhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stay after them, Chris Morris. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate the uh, appreciate the answers, appreciate the help. Just been a been a frustrating season. Not used to not used to quite this rough a season with <laughs> with just with no uh, with the woods being so quiet out there. But uh, but I'll hang with yeah. them, and maybe I can maybe I can come to some resolution. Maybe talk talk with some of the local wardens, and maybe they can inspect our border our property boundaries. Maybe maybe we can resolve something. Well, I think that's I the direction you need to take. Yep, and I and I hope you. If I hope I hope in a couple of days Andy gives me a call and says you said he, you you killed four of them. So <laughs> I wish you all the yeah. luck in the world. And and I've been Thank there. I've seen much. that movie. I've 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 lived that and got the t-shirts <laughs> yeah. to it. And and, and uh, yeah. it'll happen again sometime in your lifetime. You can count on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, Chris Morris, when you do shoot one, send me a picture and I'll forward it on to Chris Parrish and. Um, tell us a, a quick story to go with it as well, and that way we'll uh, at least I'll be able to sleep better at night knowing you put one to bed. So. <laughs> that's right. I, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's right. Well, guys, it. I thank both of you for being on the call tonight. I really appreciate that. And that's not a um, problem. Chris, thank you for your your uh, expert advice, and or Chris Parrish, and then Chris Morris, thank you for the good for the great questions. Actually, because it's something just what Chris Parrish said. We've all been faced with at some point in time, and so mm-hmm. it's it's good to to hear it from an expert like Chris Parrish, and and know that you know, we're not in the boat by ourselves. So, yeah, no, thank you'll you guys. Face it again. <laughs> yeah, y'all have a great night. All right. Okay, thank Thanks, you, man. Uh-huh. All right. Bye now. Goodbye. 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 All right. Like I said, I felt like that was a lot of great information to be gathered from Chris Parrish's answers to Chris Morris's questions. And 
I hope you guys got some good info out of that. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. Be sure to tune in to next week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast where I have a question and answer session with the turkey man, Eddie Salter. That's one you're not going to want to miss. So be sure to tune in for that. Don't forget to go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a review for the show. That is much appreciated. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Subscribing does not cost a dime. And be sure to jump over to the Facebook fan page as well and check out all of the pictures and stories that are being put on the Facebook fan page. There's a lot of turkeys being killed right now, and I'm really excited about that. Thank you guys again for tuning in. I know you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.